Peace, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Behold Pop Culture, the show where we take a look at some prominent people, figures, and events in pop culture today and in the past and try and see what lessons we could take away from them. Today is Friday, October the 9th, and we have a slate dominated again by sports. There's been a lot of controversial activities taking place, but we'll balance it out with some more gaming news, music news, and unfortunately, this week, there wasn't any notable film news to go over. So we'll start right with the sports news where the series that I spoke about last week is still on. Many predicted for this to be a sweep after they lost their all-star center, Bam Adebayo, and their closer and leading scorer, Goran Dragic. Well, as I anticipated, Miami still had some fight in them, and Jimmy Butler came out in Game 3 firing from all cylinders. Granted, he did not make a single three in this game, He was so aggressive that he continuously drove into the paint at will and no one on the Lakers was able to guard him. And that led him all the way to a 40-point triple-double game, one that only three players in NBA history have ever pulled off. One of those three also being LeBron James, his opponent at the moment. So Jimmy Butler came through for his team and they squeezed out a win to make the series 2-1. But unfortunately for the Miami Heat, LeBron and Anthony Davis came back with a vengeance for Game 4 where Anthony Davis, a player whose impact was seeming to have been minimal after a game where he did not score much and actually almost fouled out of the game, he defended Jimmy Butler In an unexpected move, Anthony Davis decided to guard Jimmy Butler, or maybe his coach told him to, and it shut Jimmy down. Jimmy still got his 20 points. He still was able to play good defense for his team, but he wasn't nearly as aggressive. As Anthony Davis tested his three-point shooting and essentially guarded him for his attacks into the paint. And once they neutralized that, it was up to other players on the Heat to step up, which they did for most of the game. But unfortunately, in the time where it mattered the most, the fourth quarter, the Lakers just made more plays. So now the series is 3-1. Today on the date of the recording is Game 5 tonight. And though they have Bam Adebayo back, Many people are expecting this to be the closeout game, the end of the line for the Miami Heat. And what would that mean for LeBron? LeBron would win his fourth ring, inch a little bit closer to being the undisputed GOAT of basketball, and win another ring for the Lakers franchise that has too many rings to count at this point. Another win for a historic franchise in all of sports, not just basketball. Anthony Davis gets his first ring, cementing his likely Hall of Fame career. And all the players, the role players that stepped up, Rondo being potentially the first player to win a ring for both the Lakers and Celtics in the critically acclaimed blockbuster rivalry that everyone knows about in the NBA world. 
Danny Green, who was playing egregiously this entire series. KCP, Contavious Caldwell Pope, a player who had gotten attacked on the internet for his performance in the first couple of playoff series, stepped up and actually made some of the most important shots of this series. Just an all-around great moment for the Lakers. But what happens if they don't win tonight? Which I actually think they won't. Miami, I continue to give credit for fighting hard. None of these games outside the first one, where they had to make some serious adjustments in short periods of time, Miami has been in these games the entire way. It all comes down to a couple plays at the end of the game, and I am not ready to count out the genius that is Eric Spolstra, the coach for the Miami Heat. A man who I do believe is a better coach than the Lakers coach. Someone who knows LeBron, who won LeBron his two championships in Miami. I'm not ready to count him out. He got this team that was not at all expected to be a finals contender this year all the way to this point. Jimmy Butler, a tough, rough, great leader for the team, is not ready to just let his story end with Anthony Davis locking him up. I think that someone else, I can't predict exactly who, but someone on this Miami team other than Butler, other than Adebayo, will step up and we'll get the job done tonight. As much as this can make it seem like a turning point for the series, a point where Miami's momentum would gain tremendously, I still believe, even though I think they will win tonight, that LeBron will find a way to close this out and for the fourth time prove his greatness to the basketball world. But once that wraps up, once the NBA season concludes, and again, props to everyone who played a, a role in this, not just the people at the top, not just the players, the people in the hotels. I saw a couple of days ago that Westbrook was tipping allegedly $8,000 for all these people that had to be away from their families. They had to come here and commit to getting this thing back on the road. This was undoubtedly one of the toughest situations to play through. These players were locked in this bubble. They've been fighting to maintain themselves, their mental health, their physical health, communicating with their families through long-distance means. Just props to everyone who played their part and got this thing to be what appears to be a success. I'm putting the numbers aside. That doesn't matter. The fact that this league was able to for all intents and purposes, getting some sense of normalcy back is commendable, to say the least. Now, the question at hand here, because by the time I record my next episode, this series will be over. Where does the NBA go from here? The problem at hand is, though they were able to complete this season, I am sure that the NBA does not desire to remain on this schedule. Now, I would imagine the players would prefer to go back to the original schedule. At the moment, the NBA is competing with the NFL, with hockey and baseball, all of these things that could have been factors in their numbers being reduced. They had found themselves a perfect position where during the NBA season, they were otherwise uninterrupted. 
they were able to dominate the sports numbers, the sports highlights. The way I see it, they have two options. The first of which is to continue down the same path. Give the players the normal three to four month break and bring them back around February, March and follow this track and make this the standard for the NBA. Or they can bite the bullet, give the players an extended offseason to get things back together and return to their typical schedule where the finals go back to ending in June. I don't believe there's any right or wrong answer here. Each has its own repercussions. And this is just going to be a wait-and-see approach as the NBA, I'm sure, has been spending most of their time figuring this out. But moving on to another league that's having plenty of issues on their own trying to just get this season off the ground is the NFL. The league had everything going perfectly. Last week, I had announced that they experienced their first coronavirus case and anticipated that there would be some serious repercussions coming out of that. What I did not predict was for there to have been 23 coronavirus positive tests for one team, the Tennessee Titans, also superstar quarterback Cam Newton tested positive, their defensive superstar Stephon Gilmore tested positive, And as of today, there are about three other teams that have had positive tests. The Kansas City Chiefs, the Las Vegas Raiders, and most recently, the New York Jets. So what does this mean for the NFL? They have some serious decisions to make now. Not just how will they better enforce their coronavirus rules, but how does the NFL treat these teams that have coronavirus cases. Now, we saw the Tennessee Titans game with the Pittsburgh Steelers got postponed. They moved that game to an entire other week. Whereas the case with Cam Newton, the Patriots simply moved their games and he was told to isolate himself. But now that there's so many more cases popping up, and especially for the Titans that have 23, Does the league now explore using extra weeks at the end of the season to fulfill games? Do they make teams forfeit? Do they continue to shuffle around the schedule? The implications of their decision could have massive impact. If they, for whatever reason, are forced to cancel the season, that's billions of dollars being lost. So I'd find it hard to believe that they would ever result to that unless there was a serious undeniable reason for them to do so. But at the moment, they're trying not to make these teams forfeit games. But I think if the cases are kept down to sub five, I would say per team, things are all right. They can isolate those players, but the Titans will be a big part of this. How does the league treat them with so many cases, such a big outbreak? If the Titans can just buckle down and keep the cases they have under control, I think they'll be fine. But if it continues, this past week, it seemed like every day there was a new positive test for the Titans. If that continues, it will get to the point where if someone is found to have been the cause of this, their entire career is in jeopardy. 
Now, in my opinion, I think that they should continue to try and delay these games, moving them to Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays if they have to. But again, if they discover some severe violations that are punishable, those teams might have to accept that and lose these games. An idea that I've seen floating around is using winning percentage over wins themselves if they were to resort to forfeiting games, which I am a fan of. I find it ironic the role that sports have played in all of this. When we see the beginning of the shutdown of the entire country was, you could argue it was initiated by the NBA when in the middle of a game which I was watching, out of nowhere, I saw some doctors rush onto the court before the game started and say that one of the players had tested positive for the coronavirus and every game just got canceled. And now we're seeing the NBA leading the way in these bubble initiatives and the NFL is going to have to be playing a role here in seeing how severe it is. If all of these players test positive and Though they have the best doctors in the world, if they beat the coronavirus rather easily, that will raise some questions as to the severity of the disease. That's something to keep an eye out on whether you're a NFL fan or not. Just looking at how the NFL deals with this coronavirus and just see what that means, what could be the implications for things like schools that might explore a bubble especially since the quantity that the NFL is dealing with is closer to the quantity that especially big schools will be dealing with. The NFL itself could become a model for how the education system decides to proceed in these cases. But outside of the coronavirus situation, we have another week of some big narratives for the NFL, the first of which that I wanted to mention was Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, a player that for a long time has been touted as being better than Tom Brady, a man that many perceive to be the greatest quarterback of all time, mostly because of his accolades, but of course he has the talent to match the title. But Aaron Rodgers, a player who hasn't always had the talent, the coaching, all the necessary pieces to be the six-time champion but consistently has been great. I was watching him the other day on the Pat McAfee show, a show Pat McAfee is a retired punter from the NFL who has this radio show, and he had Aaron Rodgers on the show talking about what the season has been like. And he got the most perfect quote you could ask for out of any great player in any sport. He asked Aaron Rodgers what was his opinion on the media asking him about having a down year, having a less productive year than the best, which at Aaron Rodgers' best, he's been the best quarterback in the league. So they asked him about him having quote-unquote down years, and his response was, you know, it's funny how the media will talk about me having a down year when... My down years are better than most quarterbacks' best years. The ultimate mic drop there. What, what else do you say to that? Pat McAfee went crazy. His entire crew was going crazy. 
To say that your worst years are better than most people's best is insane. That was a perfect response. And any Packers fans were just ignited by hearing him say that. He's currently 4-0 undefeated in the middle of a bye week and is ready to keep it going. Another team with a special arm talent is the Buffalo Bills. A team that I would say no one expected to be undefeated at this point. They didn't expect them to be this good. But their quarterback, Josh Allen, has taken a step forward and is starting to put himself in MVP conversations where he has some solid, not phenomenal, but some solid talent around him that he's making look as good as they can be. But the one team that will, until the end of time, continue to find its way into the headlines every single week is the Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys once again? Dallas, the at this point, they're constantly being called America's football team. But I'm starting to just view them, and I think the world is viewing them as a joke of a franchise. These guys come in every season with top five talented rosters and just look out of sorts. They blame the coach. They blame the owner. That Everyone's just trying to point fingers and no one knows what is going on. All we know is that they can never put it together. They never have the chemistry they need to win a Super Bowl. So they came again this week. They played the Cleveland Browns, another team that had been somewhat of a joke after they went 0-16 season, one of the rare zero-win seasons in all of sports. And the Browns just dominated them offensively. Odell Beckham, a player who was a superstar on the New York Giants, was traded to the Browns and had his numbers somewhat deflated, had his best game on the team. Odell Beckham caught three touchdowns, one of which was a play that should have been a tackle for a loss. He ran the ball all the way into the end zone to close out the game for the Browns. Odell just looked amazing. But this loss brings the Dallas Cowboys to a 1 and 3 record which really should be a 0 and 4 record. Now they'll come this week to play the Giants and probably win, but the Cowboys defense has looked horrible for all intents and purposes. Anyone could score on them. I could go out there and score on that defense. And their offense is putting up historic numbers. But for what? They're playing teams, the opposing teams go up by 20, 30 points, and the defense just makes sure that they don't allow any big plays. So the Cowboys dink and dunk these short passes, 10 to 20 yards max, and are scoring on these teams to catch up but ultimately lose. So they're putting up inflated numbers that are not leading to anything productive as a team. Until this franchise figures something out, I'm going to have to continue reporting on them every week unless they either solidify themselves as being a bad team or solidify themselves as being a good team. Because any given Sunday you wake up, the Dallas Cowboys could be the best or worst team in the league. 
And we still don't know what is going on with that franchise. And those were the main big points in sports this week. I know that baseball is inching closer and closer to its championship. A lot of great teams are there. And in the very near future, the weeks will be dominated by college and NFL football. So closing out the sports section, we can review the music that came out last week that I promised I would listen to. And we can begin with the 21 Savage album, Savage Mode 2. The sequel to his, I believe it was his debut project, Savage Mode, with Metro Boomin, the all-star superstar producer. And this album was solid. 21 Savage, he didn't come with any new content per se. It was, as advertised, a true sequel as he touched on the same topics of this life that he claims to have experienced in Atlanta. The hardships with dealing with crime all around, his experiences with women throughout his life. But some of the most notable things about the album was, of course, the production. As Metro Boomin, who we come to expect to be great, once again was great. And 21 Savage lyrically took a little bit of a step forward here. Some of the notable songs on the album were Runnin', Mr. Right Now featuring Drake, My Dog, he did a Many Men, the song by 50 Cent, he did a reprise on that. Just solid songs all around. There were maybe one or two skips. The funniest thing about the album was he had Morgan Freeman do two interludes for him. The first of which was the intro to the album that people got excited about. And the second of which was him defining the difference between a snitch and a rat. And for those of you who are familiar with Morgan Freeman's voice, He could be talking about Mickey Mouse and make it seem like the most dramatic, awe-inspiring, eye-popping thing in the world. And he did just that with his interludes on this album. That added to the overall dramatic nature of the, the beats on the project, the lyricism on the project. And I would say that this was the perfect album for the 21 Savage fan. If you're a trap music fan at all, I think you would enjoy it, but this is not the type of album that I would say is for everyone. Likewise, the other album that was in somewhat of the same boat was the YG album, My 400 Life. I was frankly relatively unimpressed. There were some songs that I thought stood out. I think the best song was Swag. But I thought YG, while I praise ambition for exploring new sounds, for some reason wasn't able to perform that well doing love songs. He had a fair share, I would say about 25 to 30 percent of the songs on the album were love songs. And YG, I don't think he's found his pocket yet for that type of scenario. He has solid features on the project, but overall, I can't recommend this one. I'm sure that there's songs on there that YG fans will enjoy, but I came away relatively unimpressed. Now, a pleasant surprise 
was the Bryson Tiller album that dropped Anniversary, a project that I don't think was expected to be anything major in terms of the release itself. It didn't get any crazy promotion. It seemed somewhat like a a song dump, but Bryson Tiller sounded the best that he sounded since his critically acclaimed major selling album, Trap Soul. An album that seemed to be bridging gaps in music between trap, R&B, and soul music in a way that was unfamiliar to many people. And for that, he gained a large amount of recognition and credit for his creativity. Diehard fans were relatively disappointed when he would come back with his album, True to Self, and just overall were disappointed that he couldn't attack that sound the way he had before and deliver the same quality of music. But here on Anniversary, he got back to what he's good at and delivered a, what I would give, I'll just spontaneously create this new category for the podcast, Album of the Week. The Bryson Tiller Project Anniversary was my Album of the Week. I'll only input this album of the week concept when there's multiple albums that are in my radar that I think deserve consideration. Because just for example, this week there's only one album that I'll be checking out. It's Reason, artist, rapper from Top Dog Entertainment, the same label as Kendrick Lamar, dropped his debut project. I don't have to have an album of the week because there's only one album for me to listen to that I'll go back to. But for this previous week, Bryson Tiller's project Anniversary was my album of the week. I was impressed with his sounds. The production perfectly matched his tone. He delivered vocally and lyrically. The standout song for me was his song with Drake, Out of Time where they sampled one of my favorite R&B artists, Snow Allegra. And just overall throughout the project, he delivered a great vibration and a soft sound that I think can be played in nearly every scenario unless you're trying to get hype or excited. Just a great car driving sound, relaxing sound. And I was impressed. I, I think that if Bryson Taylor is continuing down this path, It might be time to say that he's back. His biggest album was in 2015. It's been five years. And as I said last week, I had the conversation about it. Do artists need to be dropping albums all the time? If Bryson Tiller drops a great album and returns similar numbers to his debut, I think that will be further evidence to my point that these artists should not be worrying too much about quantity unless they have the quality to match it. The only other album that I wanted to know was, this isn't really a pop culture thing per se, they're teetering on the line in terms of hip hop culture, but West Side Gun, the leader of the group Griselda, his album Who Made the Sunshine was a solid project, but while I'm giving him the time, the airtime here, I'll just give him some free promotion here and say that if you are a fan of gritty, hardcore rap, the type of rap that refers to some violent activities, 
West Side Gun released an album earlier this year called Pray for Paris that I think was one of the potentially could be my top album for the year, I want to say. I'm not going to confidently make that statement now. I'll reserve that for the end of the year when I review, but his album Pray for Paris is definitely worth a listen if you're a fan of that. Some notable features on there. If you need a little bit of extra push, he has Tyler, the creator, Wale, Freddie Gibbs, if you're familiar with any of those names. It's a solid overall project, and his most recent album, Who Made the Sunshine, was solid as well. I just believe that his album, Pray for Paris, this year was one of the best I've heard in that genre of music. That aside, as I mentioned before, the main album that I will be checking out this week is Top Dog Entertainment artist Reason, his new album, New Beginnings. Now, as much as I would like to move on here to the film section, the industry has become stagnant. There is no big progress. The only movement that we see is the release of trailers for movies. But they're reluctant to drop this year. They're taking a wait-and-see approach. And because of that, there's nothing pop culture-related to talk about here. Just nothing to see here, folks. We'll just glide on right along to the gaming section of the podcast where this industry continues to be popping. COVID conditions has continued to allow these companies to thrive as it's kept many people in their homes still. Now, the big thing that happened this week with regards to the gaming industry on a whole was NBA 2K21, the most recent basketball game installment, dropped their trailer for the next-gen version of their game. And the graphics, as it did in 2014 when we moved from the PlayStation 2, Xbox 360 to the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, blew fans away. But aside from the fact that I could describe to you how amazing the graphics seemed, the stadium looked more packed, you could see the detail in people's eyes, faces, no, everything is perfect. In some of the pictures, I could barely tell it was a video game. That's how amazing of a job they did here. But, but why is this important? It's great that 2K is going to get people to purchase their product. But the real story here is in 2014, when NBA made its first graphical jump, it somewhat led the way for next-gen gaming graphics-wise. As we expected any game after that to reach that level of detail as they did. So what this shows any gaming fan out there or anyone who's even interested in what's taking place in the industry is we're in for a major upgrade when it comes to the gaming industry. Next-gen games have a lot to deliver here graphic-wise. All we can ask is that it delivers with the gameplay, frame rates. The more technical stuff needs to go right, but at least we have somewhat of a guarantee here that the graphics have taken a significant step forward. 
But more on the less serious side, there's been a new game that's been overtaking YouTube. I talked about a couple weeks ago how Fall Guys did this. They seemed to come out of nowhere, and every prominent content creator was just spontaneously playing this game Fall Guys. Granted, I've been seeing that they dropped their second season, and it hasn't been receiving the best reviews. But we have another case of this with this new game Among Us. A classic whodunit game, just with a different spin in terms of the way they do it character-wise. They have these relatively basic figurines. One person is designated as an imposter, or you could have two depending on how many people are playing. And they go around trying to take out everyone else without other people knowing. What makes the game fun is when someone's body is found, you can report it and it launches into this screen where everyone could talk. And the skill in the game comes to the imposter trying to make it seem like it wasn't them. They're defending themselves, deflecting. And everyone's just trying to figure out who did it. You can vote to remove someone. And if you guess correctly, if everyone votes enough, you can eliminate the imposters. I have yet to play the game myself, but it looks fun to me. I've been looking at some videos of people playing it. So if you have groups of, I would say, six to ten people, I think this could be a good free game to just have some fun with with your friends. The only other major industry news that I wanted to address here is the reports have come back and the PlayStation 5, if I'm reading this correctly, has accounted for 72% of the United States' next-gen pre-orders. So what does this mean in the grand scheme of things? Sony is winning. I spoke about how Sony made some great plays to solidify themselves ahead of Xbox early on. And I also commended Xbox for their fight back, the great decisions that Microsoft as a company made for them. And it looks like Sony has the lead going into this next generation. We have to acknowledge that at this point. Xbox has some ground to cover. 72% is pretty significant. I know that the United States is obviously not the entire gaming market, but a lot of what the United States does can be, it can dictate what to expect from the rest of the world a lot of the time. So we'll see if Xbox moves that they made that I commended them for will make a difference. There's plenty of time left. I expect this generation to at least take us six to eight years. So we'll see how they perform in the long run. I've been hearing down the grapevine some rumors of Microsoft cutting a deal with GameStop. That is something I will be paying extremely close attention to because GameStop, a company that for the last five years, I would say, has been hanging by a thread as other companies came in and dominated the landscape. Microsoft could be working something out that could benefit them. I know that GameStop stock has been paying out some crazy dividends. I'm not here to give any financial advice in terms of stocks, but they've been doing everything they can to stay afloat. A lot of GameStops have been laying people off, closing down locations. 
I'll be paying attention to see what Microsoft thinks they can gain from a partnership with them. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening. I always appreciate it. Leave a like, leave a review if you enjoyed the episode. Just let me know what you think. Every week I say it and I will continue to say it. I'm looking for any way I can improve this to create a better product for you. Thanks for taking your time out and I'll talk to you next week. This is Behold Pop Culture.